This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. As Zach said, we're continuing our series, Sermon on the Mount. So please turn in your Bible or swoop your Bible or whatever you do to Matthew chapter 6. Today we will be in verses 19 down through 24. Matthew chapter 6. Before I read this text, I want to pray, ask the Lord the gift of illumination. Father in heaven, We pray this morning in Jesus' name, we thank you for the great gift we have of access to you through Christ. Our prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would give us the gift of illumination. Let us see the eyes of our heart, the truth of your word. Let it transform us, I pray. I pray that Jesus would be our treasure. For the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves Treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is, this is God's authoritative word, Jesus' teaching, Sermon on the Mount. I think the main point today is keep Jesus as the supreme treasure in your heart. Let's leave with that today. Keep Jesus as the supreme treasure of your heart. It is so easy to serve other gods. It is easy to worship the creation rather than our creator. If you want to serve a different master than 
Jesus simply do nothing. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. We live in this world, and this world will gladly lead us to idols, to worship idols. There, the options are unlimited. The air you breathe is filled with idolatrous thoughts and ideas. Ideas for your heart to attach itself to. You cannot serve God. And anything else or anyone else. I remember when we first started doing Vision Quest at Panama City Beach in Florida during spring break with our campus ministry volunteers for Christ. The Panama City newspaper heard about what we were doing and sent a reporter down and we made the front page. I don't remember the headline, but there were a number of pictures in the paper. One had a student lying on the beach during spring break in Florida reading Jerry Bridges' book with the title prominently displayed, The Pursuit of Holiness. Given what most of the college students were doing just down the beach for spring break, what the reporter witnessed was incomprehensible to him. How can college students like these kids not give in to the temptations just down the beach? What, what kind of person? What is going on with the person who can avoid those temptations? when they're in their late teens or early 20s and sit on the beach in Florida in the sunshine and read The Pursuit of Holiness. I, I'm, I wondered if the paper was motivated by a desire to save their city from the destruction caused by the college students there on spring break, but they wrote a very nice article. What they have difficulty understanding is that the pursuit of holiness is impossible to understand until you discover the great treasure hidden in the field. Fellowship with God. Reconciliation with the living God. Then it's perfectly understandable. There is more joy in holiness than in parties. The Pharisees thought of God as a slave driver, not a father. They had never experienced the grace of God that those college students had experienced. They had never entered the kingdom of heaven by God's grace. They had no relationship with God. They didn't think of Him because they didn't know Him as a father. In heaven. So they actually distorted the truth about God. They were the religious leaders of the Jewish people, but they distorted the truth about Him. And they were keeping men and women away from discovering this grace, this pardon that comes from the gospel. They were keeping people away from the good news about Christ. 
No wonder Jesus was angry. They pursued holiness too, but not because of the joy they had from knowing God. All of us share the Pharisees' view of God by nature. Even Jesus' disciples have to fight against this view because of remaining sin in our hearts. And we have an enemy, Satan, the devil. He's against us, and he will do everything he can to keep you from the grace of God, from the treasure of the kingdom. He does not want us to enjoy the surpassing value of knowing Christ that we just sang about. This is why Jesus refers to God as your Father so often in the Sermon on the Mount. This message he has for his disciples. So let's take a close look at this section of the sermon. Because your heart is with your treasure. Why, why do people become hypocritical? Why do they become anxious? That's what chapter 6 is all about. In the case of the hypocrite, the concern is to be seen by others. In the case of the anxious person, the concern is to supply their own needs. In most cases, the hypocritical person and the anxious person probably have something else in common. They don't understand or they haven't fully experienced God's grace. So today, we're going to focus on the cure for both, really, but especially for hypocrisy, the, the recognition that we have a Father in heaven who cares for us when we trust in Christ and become citizens of heaven. Today, we're going to learn three things. Number one, your heart is where your treasure is. Number two, your, your heart has eyes. The center of your being, your, your, your spiritual life, you, ha you have eyes. And finally, your, your heart always serves a master. Number one, your heart will be where your treasure is. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also that's his main concern put your treasure where you want your heart to be our treasures are the things we prize most dearly they're the things we value there are only two places for our treasures to be either in heaven or on earth the treasures on earth can and often do fail. They deteriorate. They are, they are lost through circumstances beyond our control, like thieves breaking into our home, thieves stealing our treasure. Heaven, on the other hand, is immune to this kind of thing, immune to the ravages of time. And, and sin. So the wise man or woman banks in heaven, not on earth. 
in his wonderful book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, Randy Alcorn says, the man who has the rug pulled out from underneath him when the stock market crashes was standing on the wrong rug. Jesus says the same in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, you can look down in verse in chapter 7, verse 24, at the end of the sermon, this is how he closes the sermon. Everyone then, and it applies to our text today, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it because he was standing on the wrong rug. For you high finance folks, you've probably been following the fascinating collapse of the cryptocurrency market. This company, FTX, and it's just too complicated for me to go into a lot of detail with you. It's probably over your head. <laughs> but I have tried to follow it from a distance. Every day there's a new twist. It really, it really, you're tempted to say, let's just go back to the gold standard because this is scary. It, doesn't it seem like there's always a Ponzi scheme around making the news somewhere over the years? Ponzi scheme named after an Italian man who's infamous for this scheme, Charles Ponzi. It's, it's a form of fraud where what you do is you, you, you have these early investors and you get more and more investors and then you pay them with the proceeds. There's really no benefit to this fund or whatever it is, but you're just taking new investors and giving their money, and you make these returns on investment that are spectacular, hard to believe, because they're not real. But eventually, you run out of new investors because somebody smells a rat, word spreads, people panic, and there's no more money to give to any investors, and it collapses. That's what happened, if you remember, Bernie Madoff. But we have our own local fraudulent investors. and There are two monuments to them in, in downtown Knoxville. If you know the backstory, you know our, our uh, skyscrapers. We have two. They're, they're kind of small skyscrapers. If some of you are from New York City, you'd laugh. If you know the backstory, they were built by two brothers. I think they're green and black, but I'm kind of colorblind. But one was built by C.H. Butcher, the other by his brother Jake. They both were bankers. They were wealthy. They were powerful. If you've been around Knoxville for a while, you'd know all about these guys. They were the primary promoters of the 1982 World's Fair. The day the, the fair closed, their banks both began to collapse, and both the brothers and C.H.'s wife went to prison for fraud. And many people, sadly, in East Tennessee lost their savings. It's a tragic story. 
from the cheap seats, the cryptocurrency thing, which was worth a lot more money, and the Butcher Brothers really are, are means for people to stand on the wrong rug. They promise these unreal returns that never turn out. Jesus looks at us today and imparts wisdom to us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal. Lay them up in heaven where thieves do not break in and steal. Beware, he says. Give. Your Father in heaven will provide all your needs. Sinclair Ferguson writes, if we would only think seriously about our possessions, we'd realize that they belong to a passing world which offers no security. In fact, seeking security in this world and its possessions is, is a recipe for producing anxieties rather than relieving them. The more we gather possessions in order to feel secure, the more we feel we need them in order to be secure, and then the more we need to guard them to maintain our security. Therefore, the less secure we are. It's a familiar saying that wealth does not buy happiness. Here Jesus explains why. Happiness depends on lasting wealth. Happiness, joy, contentment, your heart will be where your treasure is. Keep Jesus as the supreme treasure in your life, in your heart, and you will experience peace, security, joy. The Scriptures talk about the world at times. When they do, it doesn't mean the physical universe or the people who live on earth. It's a, it's a reference to a worldview, a way of looking at the world, of seeing life. Now, the problem of the world has to do with, with our relationship to this, to this world. Jesus makes it clear in the Sermon on the Mount that it's not an easy thing to be a Christian. He was tempted by the devil. He was confronted by the power of the world. He, he is not a high priest that can't sympathize and understand our weaknesses. He teaches us to pray. He tells us to discipline ourselves spiritually because there are spiritual dangers in this world where we live. It, it's doing its best. The world is doing its best to depress us spiritually, to injure our faith, to ruin our spiritual life. Jesus says, danger, beware of the world. If you don't want to be worldly, you want to treasure Christ, you are in a violent war. Your family is at war. Your church is at war. Your friends who treasure Christ, they're, they're at war. You're in a conflict. 
with the world, with the flesh, with the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You're going to need it that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, if you don't have this armor, you're going to lose because you're in a mighty conflict. In 1940, Churchill made his first speech as prime minister in the House of Commons in Great Britain. As he walked in, there was, there was a great turmoil still because he had replaced Neville Chamberlain. A lot of people weren't happy about it when Chamberlain entered the House of Commons. The members of Parliament rose to their feet. They cheered. They gave him a, a tremendous reception. When Churchill entered later, it was feeble applause. He didn't seem to care. That's what I love about him. His speech lasted seven minutes, but it's considered by all to be one of the greatest ever made in the House of Commons. I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer. He's talking about Hitler invading France, Great Britain at war with Germany. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. Would that he had been with the Vols last night in South Carolina. <laughs> to wage war. That is the call. We are in a war. No one has ever said the Christian life is mission possible. It's mission impossible. I have nothing to offer you. Jesus has nothing to offer us but blood, toil, tears, and sweat, and victory. Because he always leads us in his triumph. Resolve to fight the war, to keep Jesus as the supreme treasure in your heart. Should we, should we just leave the world then? Should we just go as far away from the temptations of the world as we can get? This is how... The world attacks us through temptation. So would it be wise 
to get, get away from the world where no temptation can find us? That's, that's clearly what many have done throughout the history of the church. They become monks. They leave the world. They shut themselves away to protect themselves. But this is not what Jesus is teaching us, is it? It's not what the Scriptures teach us. It's not what we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, people don't normally become monks these days. But there are other ways we respond to the problem of the world by trying to get away from the temptations. Sherry and I moved. My wife Sherry and I moved a couple years ago. We were 61 years old. We seriously considered moving to our family farm out in the country and, and positioning ourselves to head towards retirement. It was very attractive. One thing I'm absolutely sure of, this was not what God wanted for us. We, we looked at this and prayed about this and thought about it for a couple years. And instead, we moved to our current house right in the middle of town positioned ourselves to die in the saddle. The Lord saved us. And He does not want us out of the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He loved the world. He sent His Son to save the world. The point isn't that you can't move out in the country. <laughs> that's not true. That's, that's not the point. The point is, if you do, make sure you keep Jesus as the supreme treasure of your heart. One of our campus interns met someone last week who years ago was served by our campus ministry, our church. I haven't seen or heard from them in years, but here's the text Riley sent me. I was just in a Starbucks on campus and a man saw I was with VFC and told me that our ministry had played a huge role in his life and he gave me an extremely encouraging speech. <laughs> it, was, it was so needed, Riley said today. And I thought it could encourage you. Oh, it did encourage me, Riley. And I, I need encouragement. There's so many times we don't hear reports like this. I want the congregation to know they're out there. That's one of many. It doesn't always seem like you played a huge role in somebody's life, but you did. And who knows? Maybe you'll get a text one day. It'll tell you about it. What a joy. That's what I want to live for. That's what I want to give my life to do. I would not be happier in Montana. I tell myself that every day. <laughs> I am experiencing, I, I truly am experiencing the rare jewel of Christian contentment that Stephen and Jake are telling you about in the Cornerstone Youth Classes. That's the blessing of the kingdom. That's the secure treasure of the kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us how to overcome the world while living in the midst of it. Keep an eye on the treasure. 
It's not, it's not what we have, it's how we think about what we have. There, there isn't anything wrong with money and possessions, with wealth. What can be very wrong is our relationship to wealth, to possessions. It, it's really a question of our attitude towards life in this world. People can get their, their, their satisfaction, their, they think they can get satisfaction in this life from things that belong to this world only. They're, they're called treasures. It, it includes money, but it goes far beyond that. It's all inclusive. By treasures on earth, the Lord means things like love of money. But he also means husbands, wives, children, honor, position, status, Work when it's inappropriate work. Talents, houses, anything that stops with this life and this world. Be careful. It can be your treasure. Again, Randy Alcorn, where we choose to store our treasures depends largely on where we think our home is. The Sermon on the Mount is about citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. We're aliens, foreigners, Sojourners in this, this world. Anything that pulls us away from our chief end to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify, to make a big deal of God. To work for His honor and glory. Anything that pulls us away from this. Anything that becomes everything to us. i got to have this. It's what you live for. That's what we're being warned. This is a warning passage from our Savior who loves us. Paul Tripp in his wonderful book, Lost in the Middle. Don't, don't wait till midlife to read it. Read it now. If you're 18, read it now so you can avoid the regrets. He says... Life is fundamentally shaped by the values you carry around with you. Everything you do is an expression of those values. Everything you do in life is somehow your attempt to get what is valuable to you, to get what is important to you. The word the, word the Bible uses to capture this concept is treasure. It's a wonderful word. Really gets at it. They don't, these treasures, they don't have to necessarily have intrinsic value, real value, value in and of themselves. They often simply have an assigned value, but they have a value. And Jesus says, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart, the whole center and core of your being will be also. If, if something's your treasure, you're going to live to gain it. You will fight to keep it, to maintain it, to enjoy it. Your treasure will capture you. Again, Paul Tripp, because of these biblical treasure principles, the personal archaeology of midlife is a dig for buried treasure. You're looking back at the things you assigned value to and assessing what kind of return you got on your investment. 
It's often the case that what seemed valuable, take note, young adults, what seemed valuable in your younger adult years isn't a treasure to you anymore. Whether your treasure was career success, the love and respect of your friends, your appearance, the continual upgrading of your possessions, or some dream of, idyllic, of an idyllic future, the, the crucible of midlife eventually reveals its real value. Your treasures were fool's gold, not really worth anything in the end. You have to keep, you have to fight to keep Jesus as your treasure. That's why in your young adult years, so often you'll see people excited about Christ who aren't excited about Christ in midlife. Jesus told the parable of the sower in Mark 4, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They receive the gospel with joy. They have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises, count of the word immediately, they fall away. Sounds like the story of the first campus ministry. That's the hardest thing about campus ministry, about doing evangelistic work on the campus through the church. Your history's littered with the ones when they hear the word, they receive it with joy but then they fall away when tribulation comes. I remember when we started the church and we had a campus ministry, the church growth books, were, which were all the rage back then, they all said, don't even think about starting a church on a college campus. And they were right. They were, they were dead on wrong, right, but they were also wrong because the Lord can do whatever the Lord wants to do. And Jesus, he, he's teaching us. He's teaching his disciples and reminding us, you have a Father in heaven. You have a treasure. You've been reconciled to God. You have fellowship. You have access to him. You have a relationship with him. So you're, you're free from the tyranny of this world to love God, to treasure Christ and to love others. So this morning the question is, where's your treasure? What in life do you value? What is really most important to me, to you? What are our dreams? What do we think about? Paul said this in 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to, to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He's saying the same things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure in heaven for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is true life, truly life. That's what we're after. True life, treasures in heaven. If you have riches, if you have possession, use them in this world so that it affects 
the next world. Number one, your heart will be where your treasure is. Number two is shorter. Your heart has eyes. Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus spoke a different language. He used different metaphors than we use in the English language. But we can still get the point he's making, can't we? In verse 22. It's a, it's a great illustration. It's a, it's a vivid picture in this sermon that he is using. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body's full of light. Your eyes have a disease. Your whole body's full of darkness. You can't see. When we see clearly, this, this world around us is full of light. It's beautiful. We see color. But if our eyes are unhealthy, we have, we have problems. We don't see things right. The world is dim. It's confusing. It's, it's dark. We stumble. We fall. And Jesus is talking about, he's using that illustration. He's talking about the eyes of our heart. Spiritual eyes we, that, that we see with, we pay attention with, we concentrate on. They can either be healthy or they can be sick, they can be good, or they can be bad. That's why Paul in Ephesians 1 prays that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what's the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Help us see Paul's praying that our, the eyes of our heart wouldn't be diseased. They'd be good. And we could see. And the Spirit, he's praying, the Spirit works in our heart. We're filled with the Spirit. And we can see true riches. We can see false riches. We can see treasures for what they really are. We can see the power of God that sets us free. To love the right things. That's why it, it's wise. Proverbs says, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from, from it flow the springs of life. Finally, number three, your heart always serves a master. You gotta, Dylan was right, you gotta serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. No one, verse 24, can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and any other created thing. But the implication here is you're, you're, you're made to have a master. What this is saying, what he's saying to us is you're a worshiper. You were made in the image of God to worship God, to make a big deal out of God, your creator. 
if we choose not to worship God, it doesn't mean we stop being a worshiping creature. We just trade hats. Instead of worshiping and serving our true creator, we become slaves of what God has made. Slaves of things that man has made. But our heart will always serve a master. Paul said it like this in Romans 1. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. You and I, Jesus' disciples, we're called to worship and serve our Father. Our Father who is in heaven. And we can't serve two masters. When we compromise, try to be loyal to two masters, the result is hypocrisy and anxiety. Jesus addressing it in our text. The result is disaster. You'll, you'll be devoted to money. So again, how are you doing in your soul? The Sermon on the Mount is like an eye test for the eyes of your heart. What line are you seeing? How clearly are you seeing? Are, are your problems being caused by this attempt to worship two masters? Keep Jesus as the supreme treasure in your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He, he's given us all these good things for His glory. But we do face this temptation, don't we? These things can and do compete for our hearts. If we love them too much, we'll soon hate and despise the one who gave them to us. In this, John Piper is right. He says, saving faith receives Christ as a treasure, but not as second to lands, oxen, or spouses. He is valued above them, or he is rejected. Embracing him as one among many useful treasures is worse than useless. It's worse because it gives the impression that he is willing to be used. He is not. He will be received as our supreme treasure or not at all. And then he gives us scriptures. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And Paul said, I count everything as loss because he was a disciple because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. By God's grace, keep Christ as the supreme treasure in your heart. Father, come to you in Jesus' name today and pray for your help. Everyone in this room, we need your help, Lord. We need the power of the Spirit that we might fight this war, this conflict in your power so that we might overcome our enemy, our enemies, our own sinful nature, our own flesh, the world, 
and the devil himself fighting against us. We need your power. And I pray, Father, that you would fill this congregation with your spirit and that Christ would be our treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.